Hey tribe, this is your girl Shakina and I'm with my girls Tor and Shara and we are the Black Woman Reborn. This is a podcast where we have raw, honest, captivating and informative conversations about issues that affect Black women in their personal and professional lives. Welcome to the tribe. Welcome back tribe. This is part three and the finale of our series, The Black Woman and Her Vote. We know the national presidential election is pulling up on us very quickly. And no matter how many times you have heard it prior, please believe that this is indeed the most important election of your life. There's a lot at stake in this upcoming election. And we delved into that in part one and part two of the series, The Black Woman and Her Vote. So be sure that if you haven't already, listen to those two episodes, because trust me, there were a lot of great nuggets dropped that you do not want to miss. In part one of the Black Woman and Her Vote series, we were joined by Deshauna Bernard, who is the Director of Political Partners at Hustle. Deshauna worked directly with Elizabeth Warren during her presidential run, and she has an unwavering commitment to progressive politics and public service. In part two of this series, we were joined by Shannon Reeves, Executive Director of the Atlanta Jobs with Justice Coalition, and she is a true warrior for justice and workers' rights in Georgia and beyond. I personally took so much from both of these episodes, and I can go on and on about how much both of those episodes meant to me and has shifted my perspective and kind of like reconnected to my purpose and passion in the work that we do in community activism and labor and politics. I left both of those episodes with an overwhelming feeling of empowerment and and readiness to continue this fight that is ahead of us. So I don't know if we want to just kind of talk a little bit about the themes that emerged from both of those episodes, ladies. Um, absolutely. I think one one of the major things that I took from this was I think that we spend so much time worrying about who's on our side um, and who's not on our side when we really need to fo- be focusing on how we get find the people who are like minded and how we create a strategic strategy to move forward and continue to press on and not worry about things that we don't have control over, but to be the very best me that I can be, you be the very best you that you can be, and then together we can do so much work. Um, work. And that was one of the major things that stood out to me. Definitely. And also the whole thing of not asking permission. You know, we're we're no longer begging to be at someone else's table. We're no longer asking, can we be a part of their table? Can you know, we're we're basically at a point now where if they're not gonna invite us in, we'll pull up a chair or we'll bring our own table. Or, you know, we we can come together as um, and, and create these policies and create this change without someone giving us permission to do so. And so I think that is definitely um, something that I took away from the last two episodes and something that I definitely use as a part of my everyday life. So I think the other thing that we would bring up that was really touching for me was 
that just like we have forefathers in this time, in this season, we have the opportunity, ladies and tribe, to become the foremothers of a new generation. Because at some point, we will become ancestors. And what we leave behind now, the groundwork, the footwork, the mobilization, the policies and processes that we put into place now will affect our children and our children's children for generations to come. Um, so that was something that was really touching to me and that I try to live by just in my own personal life on a day-to-day -day basis, making sure that I'm being the best person that I can be. So um, growing up, one thing that my parents always taught me was, you all you have is your name. You can work, you can get all these accolades, degrees, and own these businesses, but all that will be left when you die is your name. And you only live on for as far as long as people remember you and your name is being spoken after you depart here. So that that's one thing, uh, something else that stuck with me. I just want to make sure that I am going to be the best ancestor possible for future generations. And I think if we all take on that attitude, we'll be in a much better place. I think one thing that you said around all you have is your name and remembering that as far as legacy, a woman that comes to mind is a woman who is definitely a founding mother of the Black woman and her vote, and that's Shirley Chisholm. And she talked about how, if nothing else, you have your vote, right? And that was kind of one of the principles she worked toward when she um, was a pioneer in this fight when it came to Black women in politics, as well as voting. Shirley, Shirley Chisholm uh, was the first Black woman in Congress in 1968, and a short four years after that, she became the first majority party Black candidate to make a bid for the U.S. presidency, major. So she essentially not only paved the way for us as Black, black women in politics, but Black men as well. So we can go as far as to say there will be no Barack Obama if Shirley Chisholm didn't pave the way, right? So we already said in part two put some respect on the Black woman's name because we pave ways. Um, we've alluded to her quote several times throughout part one and part two and even in this episode. And she said, if they don't give you a seat at the table, bring a folding chair. Another quote that I love of hers is when she really talks about how we can't be the people who sit back on the sidelines and not actually be a part of this fight. And she says, you don't make progress by standing on the sidelines whimpering and complaining. You make progress by getting up and implementing ideas. And I think that's something that we can really remember in this fight. You can only imagine what she was up against when she was in Congress as the first Black woman, when she was running for presidency and she wasn't backed by her party. Um, she wasn't Black backed by a woman who she stood next to in the fight for women's rights. So we have to be reminded that there's going to be a lot of challenges up against us in this work, in politics, in voting, in community activism, in labor. But if we can just look back to our founding mothers like Shirley Chisholm, who actually stood firm in her ground, um, ten, what is it? Ten toes planted, right? Right. And ten toes kept, down in this thing. Ten toes down and kept true to her purpose. Like we can really serve... Uh, use that as a means of encouragement and motivation as well as inspiration because child if she even though she talked about bringing up that folding chair she did everything but sat down 
right? She's the epitome of woman standing up and taking place and taking up space in politics. And to a certain extent, not only did she bring up her chair, um, I would even say that she created a table of her own as well, that we as Black women, as we as um, women that are getting into politics and moving in a certain direction, we can go sit at Shirley Chisholm's table because that is a table that she created for us. Although she did have to run, um, start at someone else's table, she definitely created her own. We met her under the tree, as Shannon would say. Exactly. And then let's be honest, if there was no Shirley Chisholm, there would be no Auntie Maxine Waters. There would be no Joyce Betty. There would be no Barbara Lee. There would be no Alexandria Cortez. And most importantly, there would be no Elizabeth Warren, even though she's white. So, you know, Sister Shirley Chisholm paved the way for all women seeking leadership in positions in politics. And I think that's what we so often forget. Um, Even I think on the last episode we talked about, I brought it up, how Black people um, have invented so many things that other communities, other culture, other races take as their own. But even like you said, without Shirley Chisholm, there would not have been a Hillary Clinton, so to speak, or so many other women. A Black woman even paved the way for you all. Um, Even in other instances, as we move along, we will be able to see where Black people started movements, Black women started movements that as they began to pick up other cultures, other races came in and kind of took over. Definitely. And while we are talking about um, that, it's important to bring up that this marks, this week marks a hundred years since women were given the right to vote. And I think it's even more important to say that even in those, um, even though it's been a hundred years, Black women as a whole, granted that some of us were able to vote, you know, back then a hundred years, but as a whole, we only recently was given the right to vote. And even more when we, you know, dial back even a little more to understand that we're still fighting the right to vote now. And we're still, you know, having some of those same battles. I was looking at something the other day um, and I just thought about how important, you know, even right now with women leading the voter registration and, you know, you see a lot of women out here in the streets telling people to register to vote, to make sure they're voting and everything like that. Um, it made me think about Mary um, Mary Bethune, who in the 1920s had traveled around um, her state to make sure that Black women um, registered to vote, even though there was all these barriers put up. And although, you know, people attacked her and everything like that, but it just tells you exactly how strong we are as a Black woman. I completely agree. I think that, um, you know, we have to we have every right to be a part of this celebration of the 100th year anniversary of the passage of the 19th Amendment, while, of course, um, recognizing that Black women didn't gain their full access to that right. Um, But we have every right to celebrate because just like the broader 
um, problem with Black history in America, Black women in these major movements um, are hidden figures. And, you know, the suffrage movement would not have ended the way that it did with the passage of the 19th Amendment if it wasn't for the work of Black women. Um, and, you know, besides Mary McLeod Bethune, we have other women like Ida B. Wells, right, who was an investigative journalist, who was a social justice warrior, who was a civil rights leader, and she constantly encouraged women to vote um, before the 19th Amendment, after it was a pass, and mind you, so that right was given to white women. So that is her encouraging white women to exercise their right. Taking care of all the babies. Taking care of all the babies, Mm -hmm. right? So she encouraged white women to exercise their right. But then on the same token, she was also fighting those same white women who were trying to exclude black women from the process, who were trying to exclude black women from sitting at the table, from being in meetings, from being in rooms where major decisions were being discussed. So it was like a lot of these women during that time, black women, they were, they were standing by women fighting in that fight in the suffrage movement, but then they also had to turn right around and check those same women because those same women weren't fighting for us. Exactly, and it's still going on now. Right, and one of the biggest things I know that we were reading together, I know, Shar, you've been finishing, me and Tora still reading, but um, Hood Feminism by Mickey Kendall. She talked about how white feminists always somehow tend to leave out Black women when it comes to this fight of being feminist. And again, we always somehow seem to pick up our bootstrap and worry about us, take care of us, and still take care of these women, we always are leading the way. We're always 10 steps of, ahead. And then somehow, some way, um, other cultures, other races come and kind of just take over it and it takes off in a more momentous momentous way. Um, even back to where Tor was talking about, we weren't, re- we weren't able to vote in that just took me back to Juneteenth where some slaves were free, but then it took two years for all slaves in our country to know that they were free. A hundred years ago, when this um, bill was passed for women to have the right to vote, they all, these women in a certain area were able to vote, but then it took 40 years later to the civil rights um, act was passed for women to be able to, more women to be able to vote and especially black women. But then even when I look at today, I live in the city of Fulton um, in Atlanta and I worked at the polls. I worked on the campaign, um, the primary election coming up for November. And I saw the long lines. I saw people being turned away because their names were not on the ballot. Uh, not, I'm sorry, not on the ballot, but their name, they were not on the voter registration list. Like these are things that we're still living with, even though our ancestors paid, paved the way for us to be where we are. We can't forget that we still have a lot of work to do. 
one thing I want to say um, about everything that we just talked about with the, um, the I don't know if I want to use the word tension, but hey, I'll just flow with it because it's the first word that came up in my mind. The tension between white feminists and black feminists in the overall movement is that let's not think that the whitewashed history of the suffrage movement was a coincidence or by accident. Um, you had the face of the movement, which was uh, Elizabeth Stanton and Susan B. Anthony, right? Those are two white women who were really the face, who, who kind of emerged as the face of the suffrage movement. Um, again, but we know that Black women played an integral part in all of that. White women used infrastructures that Black women created in the movement, organizations. You know, we always had strong ties to the church. Um, and we see how that played out in the civil rights movement. That really also happened in the suffrage movement as well. All that infrastructure, all that ties to community organization is things that white women use in order to advance the suffrage movement for um, their benefit. But you have people like Elizabeth Stanton and Susan B. Anthony who intentionally left out black women in that narrative. Right. So we got to be reminded when it comes to the whitewashing of our history, it is an intentional decision. And, you know, that's why it's so important for us, even in this podcast, the things that we are deliberate and intentional about what we choose to talk about as far as um, black women and lifting up our story and our narrative, as well as you, yourself, tribe, going out and doing the research. Don't think that something doesn't apply to us, right? We just automatically say black women didn't have the right to vote in the 19th Amendment in the 1920s, so I don't care about that. No, do your research because I can guarantee you there's a lot of movements in this country that we played a very, very important part of that it has been hidden history. Right. I mean, and just even the whole thing of saying that absolutely no black woman was able to vote in 1920s. And then we think about the women that actually went out and made sure black women were registered. And then the amount that were actually able to take part in voting, despite, um, you know, all these competency tests and, you know, making sure that you had voter ID and all these different things, which shockingly hello what are we hearing now you know this these same exact things are happening now and we can't leave out the fact that not only did we pave the way did we not create certain um systems in place but just what about our our ancestors that died for us on the way walking to the polls or trying to register people that were lynched, murdered, um, set afire, the ones that were spit on and beat or even attacked by dogs. Like our, they thought not so much of just themselves, but so much of us that they went through the torment and the torture of being black women and men of that error to make sure that we had a better day. And I just continuously think of people that I come across that regardless of how you feel like this system is set up against us, how dare you feel like you don't have a reason to go and vote? That you don't show up if for nothing else for that woman, 
for that man that stood in line, that was beat, that was killed. For you as a black person in 2020 to make sure that your vote counted. How dare you not go? Right. And I think there's a saying that's going around now that people are like putting on shirts and, you know, using there as their captions, which is we are not our ancestors. And I know that speaks to people saying that, you know, you think you can get away with what you've done to our ancestors. We are not the generation. But let's be careful with that saying, because we want to make sure that we know our history and we pay homage to the people who really fought for our rights. You know, we we take it for granted because in our generation and generations that come after us, um, that's something that we've never had to really fight for. And some people are still, as you said, Tor, we know voter suppression is very real and some people are still fighting for their right. So to sit up here because you take it for granted um, and think that, you know, hey, our vote doesn't count. As we talked about in part two, y'all need to go back and listen to that episode. We broke down why your vote matters, why it's important for you to vote, why elections matter. This is a system that you are part of, whether you like it or not. And even if you don't do politics, honey, politics will do you. That's the key right there. And you know what's so amazing? I think about the where we are in this country right now during this pandemic. And right before 1920, what pandemic were we in? the Spanish flu. So it's it's so ironic to me that you had a pandemic happen, you had then the fight to for women to be able to vote. And then now we're having a pandemic and you see those same provisions that happened then is happening now. They're trying to roll back the ability for us to even vote by mail. Do you not, do people not realize who that's going to impact? You're talking about um, in a time where people are at home with their kids, teaching them, making sure school school is going well, or they're working from home, or, you know, daycares are closed, or what have you, and now you're trying to say, oh, but I want to limit your ability to vote by mail. I want to make you have voter registration ID. I'm, I'm sorry, voter ID. I want to. Um, you know, I, I want to do some gerrymandering. I want I want to limit um, the polling stations, like all these different things that are attacking us. And we see what's happening now, a reflection of what happened then. I agree. And I think that's why people need to pay attention. You know, also in part one and part two, we kept on throwing around, you know, the whole concept of being woke. But I think more than ever, um, people so woke they sleep, you know, and I mean, girl, they, say that, say it again. People mm-hmm. are so woke they are asleep, and I mean a deep slumber. I mean I'm, that slob on your lip slumber. I mean that crust in your eyes. <laughs> I'm talking about that kind where your uh, arm go numb and you gotta shake it to get. Yeah, I mean, you wake up with whiplash slumber. I mean that psychedelic dream slumber people are in. Okay. Yes. And we need right. to wake up because. When it comes to this election and when it comes to any election, okay, let's not only focus on the 2020 election, right? We have to think about five years from now, like we talked about in part two of this series. We have to think about our legacy, as Shakina just said, being the founding mothers of something. What does our legacy mean and how do do we tie that to our vote? So we have to think about what is actually at stake in this election. Like 
Trump has already shown us enough of his incompetence. Like I've had enough. I don't know about y'all. I've had enough of Girl, you know us and know enough to know that we'd have had enough. We I've had enough. Okay. Like we've seen enough of what an incompetent leader looks like. Like I've, I, it's been an embarrassment to this country. Um, he has really dropped the ball on handling a variety of issues that this country has faced over the past four years. Um, he, the only good thing that I think Trump has going for him, um, and and frankly, I'm I'm impressed by it, is that wig glue, honey. That y'all, that wig glue child. He. I don't know where, what what kind of wig glue he used for that toupee, but that toupee is relentless. I mean, <laughs> all planes, all planes, helicopter, uh, it that that wig that wig it's, it's holding on tight, huh, Sharp? Girl is holding on. But in all seriousness, we cannot forget what this man has done. You know, mm-hmm. so even thinking back to the first hundred days of um his his presidency, and you know, when you, in politics. You look at the first hundred days of a president's term to really get an understanding of how he's going to operate throughout his career. And, you know, a lot of times there's going to be a lot of attention focused on what is he doing in that first hundred days? What decisions is that person making? We didn't even have to wait to his first hundred days. We knew his with his plan, just everything that he did on the campaign trail led up to his first hundred days. That was still we had a synopsis of what was about to happen. We did, and I, and people didn't believe people. You know, they, I like again the the day that he was on national TV and he made fun of a disabled man and mocked him, and he's and people still voted for him was the day I was just like, this is America, cue childish Gambino. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. But anyway, in Trump's first 100 days, he did things like put in tougher regulations um, for Title X, which um, helps organizations like Planned Parenthood fund abortions, which is ultimately, of course, the woman's right to choose. Don't no man have no business making that decision for no woman. Bottom line. Even Tupac said that. Q Tupac. Since a man can't make one. He has no right to tell a woman when and where to create one. So will the real men get up? I know you're fed up, ladies. But keep your head up. Come on, Q Tupac. <laughs> also, you know, gutted funding for the United Nations Population Fund, which provided reproductive health services for women in 150 countries globally. Women. These issues I'm naming affect women. He signed an executive order that blocked laws that require companies to report wages based on gender as well as race in an effort to promote equal pay, affecting women, okay? So it's interesting to me how in the 2016 election, Trump would not have won that election, according to data, if it was not for white women. So white women will vote against their own interest. This man has shown that he's a misogynist. Okay, we're not even going to put race. Let's just talk about a community of women. This man has shown that he's a misogynist, okay? And he has no problem grabbing you by the bleep bleep. He said it. Right. 
and white women will still vote against their own issues. And, you know, one of the things that you brought up, Shakina, was um, the book that we decided to read together, which was Hood Feminism. And I strongly, strongly suggest that book to anyone. Try it, please. It, it is a very good book. Um, I think Mickey Kendall did such a great job at kind of breaking down the dichotomy between Black feminists and white feminists and what's at stake if we do not come together as one. Um, but, you know, I think we need to realize that it's not a, um, you know, this population of women versus that population of women. We have a lot to lose if this man wins another four years as woman as a whole. Well, well, let's just get into that. We need to give a big round of applause and a congratulations, whether you like her or not, to Kamala Harris, Senator Kamala Harris, the vice president picked by Joe Biden. You know, there's been so much back and forth about, you know, just who she is, who she's been. Um, but we want to take this time to lift this sister up and talk to you all about her accolades and her accomplishments. Um, whether she's Black enough or whether she's Asian enough or whatever. At the end of the day, she is a woman of color. And we need to support her. Um, and we need to really get educated about her. I want to start out with the fact that she, people say, oh, she doesn't identify as Black. Sis went to Howard, okay? Graduated from a HBCU. Sis also joined and is an AKA another part of the divine nine, a black sorority um, that I think further encompasses her blackness, even though her father was from Jamaica. If we, we, we would be such a better people if we start saying, well, you're not black because you're from Jamaica or you're a black Cuban or you are a African from Africa. At the end of the day, we are all colored people. And she chose to go to HBCU. She chose to pledge AKA. Um, and then after that, just some of her other accomplishments. In 2003, she was elected district attorney of San Francisco. She was elected attorney general of California in 2010 and re-elected in 2014. She defeated a woman there in 2016 for the Senate election to become the second African-American woman and the first South Asian-American to serve in the United States Senate. These are accomplishments that, again, are paving the way. Someone paved the way for her. She was able to walk on that road, and now she is paving, continuing to pave that way. Some of the good things that she has done. One of the things that stuck up to me, stuck out to me the most as well, was her 
changing the mindset of the police department in California when it came to teenage prostitution. She made the police there not look at underage girls that were a part of prostitution. We know that human trafficking is very real in our country. This is not foreign to us. This is happening next door. This is happening across the street from us where they will look at them as victims and not look at them as criminals. And I think for young women, that is very important because we don't know how far this um, sex trafficking thing has gone in one direction or another. Um, some of the other things that she has done, if you guys want to talk about anything that you guys are proud of her, that she's done and uplift her. Yeah, I just think even when we look at right now, what she's done during this pandemic, speaking out for families, working families, she voted for the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. She wrote, she voted for, um, she, uh, she voted for uh, paid sick time and paid leave for workers. You know, like all these things to show that she believes in family and she believes in the working class. I think it's important to also look at the fact that in 2020, we're still having the first and the second. That to me, that that shows how far we still have to go um, to know that she, as a woman, is still having to um, defend her ability to do her job as a politician, her job as a senator. And then what I know she'll be able to do as a vice president is, is, you know, it's a little shocking, but I do believe that regardless of some of the things that you see going around, she has proven to us that she has the ability to listen to the people in which she serves. And to me, that means more than more than we've seen the last four years. <laughs> yes. Yes, Lord. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that um, impressed me about her, because I was one of those people who just kind of bought into the limited narrative that I got from social media about her, which was just a lot of criticism about her tenure as attorney general and how she didn't do enough to like investigate charges against um, police misconduct um, and other questionable things like, of course, shootings and stuff like that. So that was my limited narrative. So of course, these past couple of weeks, just kind of like doing my own research and finding out the stuff that she done around human trafficking, which I think is really impressive. The stuff that she's done around predatory uh, lenders in housing and education, which is huge, huge for our community. Um, the stuff that she's done with creating reentry programs. And, you know, I'm like, you know, actually, this woman has been doing a lot. And I was talking to a couple of my colleagues in Cali who said, the funny thing is, it's only people outside of Cali who is so anti-Kamala. Like, all of us, we love ourselves so Kamala. <laughs> we love her. And so, you know, I think that speaks to um, 
just people's perspective, number one, but number two, how, you know, media and social media in particular really do shape um, narratives about people that could be completely wrong. And we have to be careful. So I do want to encourage all of you in the tribe to do your own research. Um, stop resharing memes <laughs> just by sharing it, just because, you know, it makes it seem like you are fighting for something. Like, I think you have to educate yourself because when you look at this woman, um, she really does have an impressive track record. And of course, as leaders, we don't always make the best decisions. And when you make a decision, everybody is not going to benefit from that decision. And if you are a woman, I really do challenge you. I don't care what color you are. I really do challenge you to sit down and read up on, um, on Kamala. And I think another thing that you have to ask yourself the question of, why all the attacks against this woman? Why? And she's getting it from all sides. So you have the question. Why is it so hard for women to appreciate a woman being nominated into that high position? Woman. We knew it was going to come from men, but from women as well. Right. And we have to call that question to ourselves as well as to this nation. As Tor said, why are we in 2020 and we still talk, celebrating the first and the second? Some of this should have been a happen. But you know what? Kamala being um, nominated represents, you know, another advance in the slow but steady progress that we are are making in recent decades. So we really have to celebrate that. Celebrate it. Give it a head nod. Yes, queen. Yes. And guess what? We also going to hold her accountable. As the shot in part one, we're going to pull up on the sisters. <laughs> pull up. We holding those heels to the fire. Hold the feet to the fire. We holding those heels to the fire. Right. And I think it's important to point out, too, that we cannot think because there is a black person or a person of color in a higher role that they shouldn't abide the law. So we have to be careful when you're voting for certain things, you need to know what you're voting for. Because at the end of the day, as the attorney general, she was doing what those people voted for. She was abiding by the law. And that's what we have to be careful about. You have to know what you're voting for. You have to know the laws in your space. You have to know um, what needs to be um, looked at further. You need to know, you know, do you know the person in your police department? Do you know the sheriff? Do you know the police chief? You know, you need to educate yourself. We can't, we have to leave social media and get really into the roots and, and the, get in the dirt. You know, we, we can't just keep going as business as usual and think that when it comes time for a four-year election and all of a sudden we want to say how these people didn't do nothing for us when we don't even know um, how we're doing things for our own selves. We're, we're not even out there fighting in our own communities. Right, that's very important. We got to pick up the torch light it, carry it sometimes, bring it around and be ready for someone else to pass it. Uh, be ready to pass it to the next person and the next person and be ready to receive it. Um, one thing that really touches my heart with her and I want to give her a shout out on behalf of the LGBT um, QIA community is in 2004, 2011, 
um, during her term as the DA. Uh, she opposed Proposition 22 and Proposition 8 in the state of California, which limited marriage to one man and one woman. Um, through this, they passed in 2008, 2000 and 2008, sorry, respectively, both were struck down while she was in office as a San Francisco DA. Um, with her early support of marriage equality in California directly laid the groundwork for the U.S. Supreme Court's decision in 2012 that same-sex couples have the right to marry. Um, and the Supreme Court actually even cited um, portions of, you know, her, her groundwork. So I do want to definitely appreciate the sister for that um, and for everything that she has done. And I believe on Black Woman Reborn, we will continue to lift her. Um, we will continue to pray for her, um, that she will be covered. Um, and we continue to pr pray for all of you all as well, that if you lack understanding that you, through your own education and investigation, that your conscience during this time and leading up to November, you will be led in the right direction that best suits you, but make sure that you're not only thinking about you, yourself and your household, but the communities that we represent as women um, and the workspaces um, that we work in and that we are taking care of all the babies, so to speak, and not just ourselves. In this election, it's so, so important that we get up, get up, get out, take back our streets, um, make sure that we're getting the right people elected in office for our communities. Um, remember, we said over the last couple of episodes, and we will carry on this conversation past November, that it is not only important for you to vote in your um, pre in the presidential elections it is very it's even more important for you to be voting on all levels of government inside your communities even down to your um, if you live in a subdivision and you have a president and an executive board if you have a union that you're a part of at your job Get involved in the union. Vote for your president. If you don't like something, you have to vote in people that are going to fix and correct issues and problems that you have. It is important for our voices to be heard. It is important to respect and pay homage to our ancestors. And I will even touch back to what Shar said earlier is be very careful with the slogan, I am not my ancestor. We can turn that around in a positive manner. I'm not my ancestor because they paved the way for me to be something better. They paved the way for me to have the opportunities that they did not have. So, no, I'm not going to let you come up to me and talk to me any kind of way. No, I'm not going to let you oppress me at the polls. No, I'm not going to let you talk, not allow me to speak at my city council meeting. I'm going to be there. I'm going to show up week after week, day after day, month after month, year after year. We will be the generation 
that our ancestors hoped that we would be. Yeah, we're this rising is, up and we're clapping back. Right. And you can even just see that in the generation that's coming up after us. Like we're millennials, but the generation that's coming up, I'm proud of them too, because they're doing their thing. But all of that came from our ancestors. That's coming from us pouring into them. And then now they're creating their own roadmap. Like as we continue again, I'm going to continue to say, even if voting is not important to you and it's not a requirement, but it is your civic responsibility to be a voter. It is, it is what you owe and it is your responsibility to your children to vote, to make sure that they are taken care of. So as we even go back to what Shannon said and what Deshauna said, and Shara said on this episode, you may not want to deal with politics, but politics deals with you on the everyday basis. And one thing that I learned here um, when Georgia Power was getting ready to go up on everybody's light bill and we held a rally down at um, the state capitol because they wanted to go up like $300 a year on everybody's light bill. Well, in order for Georgia Power to be able to do that, they had to have someone that would create the bill inside the House or the Senate. So again, in every aspect of your life, if you don't deal with politics, politics will deal with you. And we're asking you on behalf of your ancestors, on behalf of Black Woman Reborn, on behalf of you, yourself, and your children, if you have them, exercise your right to vote. One of the things I want to add to that, um, Shakina, is that there's a lot of resources online for you all to kind of do your research, not only on the candidates, not only on the issues, but how to actually um, prepare to vote. One of the ones that I've been suggesting to people is called I Will Vote. Dot com, and it actually walks you through a vote plan. It helps you map out what that day will look like. You can put in your zip code and it gives you information, the latest information when it comes to how voting will work um, in your area. So definitely use um, your, your resources at hand to make sure that you plan ahead for this. Um, because as Shakina said, we don't, we can't, we have a lot to lose. Um, some people have the privilege not to participate in politics, but I don't. I'm a single mother of two girls who I want to leave a legacy, as we talked about in this episode, and I want to leave this planet, um, hopefully, <laughs> in, in good shape. And, and the way that we are going with Trump and his administration, um, it, it's not looking too good. So be sure, IWillVote.com is one resource that you can use. And if you guys also want to go and look up Senator Harris's voting record, you can also go and check that out at harris.senate.gov and get familiar with more of her and, again, her voting record in the Senate. Make sure you do your research before you spread lies. Let's uplift this sister and move into 2021 in a better position than we were 
in 2020 and years before. Right. And I also want to put in a plug about the census, the census 2020. So you can go on myblackcounts.org. Um, the census impacts us for 10 years to come. It's only once every 10 years. Um, it, it, it affects our communities. It affects our kids. It is, um, affects our schools, our roads, everything. The census is so, 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 so important. And it's even more important right now in 2020. So definitely, definitely, definitely make sure you fill that out. Make sure you make sure your neighbors and everybody else fills it out as well. Um, we love you all. We thank you tribe for coming and, and, sharing this table with us yet again. We upload the first and third Friday of every month. Um, follow us on all social media accounts, Instagram, Facebook, at The Black Woman Reborn. Check out this podcast on Spotify, Podbean, and Apple Podcasts at The Black Woman Reborn. And we're added on now to Google Podcasts as well. Until next time. See you at the next tribe meeting. It's a special